Hello and welcome to Behind the Bearcat. This is the podcast where the Northwest Missouri State University Career Services Office chats with Northwest faculty, staff, students, alumni, and friends to hear about their career journeys, how they got to where they are, and how they became Bearcats. I'm Northwest Internship Coordinator Travis Klein. And I'm Hannah Christian, the Assistant Director of Career Services here at Northwest. And today's guest on our podcast is the Associate Provost of Diversity and Inclusion. Uh, please welcome Dr. Justin Mallett. Yay! Welcome. The audience goes wild. <laughs> I, I see streamers all over the place. <laughs> I, I, I just, I know it's missing there, and I just, I feel the inclination to. We need a live studio audience. I'm sorry. Uh, well, just the confetti they came down was perfect. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. So um, I mentioned before, we, we are supremely interested in your career path. How does one get to be an associate provost? Can you just maybe even starting at a very young age, tell us about Justin Mallet and maybe what his first job was, first paid job? Oh, man. Start us oh. way back in way back in the in the past there. Oh, oh, my goodness. So I. Uh... I, I grew up, I was born and raised in a small town called Kosciuszko, Mississippi. And so uh, people know Kosciuszko, Mississippi because it's the hometown of Oprah Winfrey. Uh, so my, my very first job was I used to go around town with a lawnmower and I used, to, I used to mow yards all over the place. So it'd be 100 degrees. I'd be pushing that lawnmower all over town and I could at least three, four yards a day. Uh, when I got in high school, I became uh, a, a traffic director, traffic guard for the city. I made a little money there. And on the weekends, I was actually a busboy at a local restaurant. They, we had a buffet every Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I would go in and I would, I would bus tables. So that was, <clears throat> that was how I started out. And then uh, when I graduated high school, I decided to make the move to Central Wisconsin, Stevens Point, Wisconsin. And uh, I was a basketball player there. I got got the opportunity to play college basketball. Uh, During that time is when I developed my love for multicultural affairs. It was actually uh, an academic incident that led me to multicultural affairs. So uh, I I was a student and I came in on an out-of-state tuition fee paper. And part of the fee waiver said that I had to maintain a, a 3.3 GPA, but I, I didn't read the small print. And so my first semester of college, I had a 2.13 GPA. And I'm walking in the gym for basketball practice and the director of multicultural affairs at the time, Ron Strage, pulled me to the side and said, hey, Justin, just so you know, you lost your tuition fee waiver, so you're gonna get you're gonna have to pay out of state tuition, and there was no way I was gonna be able to afford that. And so Ron said, "Hey, come to my office. We'll figure something out." And so Ron ended up finding a scholarship for me that paid a good chunk, but then he gave me a job in our multicultural resource center that. Uh, a work-study job that really, really helped me out. And at that point in time, I developed my love for uh, and a passion for diversity, inclusion, helping out other students, helping out other underrepresented and marginalized students. And so I just learned so much. 
And so I graduated with my degree. And so, so yeah. Okay. Uh, let's go, let's back up for a second. Yeah. When you went to college for basketball, so had you considered what you wanted to study at that point or were you really focused on playing basketball? What were you, what was your focus there? Growing up, everybody told me that computers was the right, was the right way to go. So I, I came into college and I was a computer science major and I took a C plus plus programming class and I hated it. Uh, literally, I was up doing putting together a program, and I was up to like three in the morning, and I like had a semicolon or something in the wrong place. I lost it and said, "Nope, not gonna do that." <laughs> so I said to myself, "Well, I play basketball. I kind of know about the human body, so I'm gonna go athletic training." Well, I took biology 160, which was uh, at Stevens Point, which was the human anatomy class. Uh, that didn't work out. <laughs> and so I had cut a deal with my uh, advisor. In the under, we have an undeclared office and at Stevens Point. And she had told me for the longest time, well, Justin, it seems like you got a pretty good gift of gab. Uh, you, can sell, you can sell ice in a firestorm. <laughs> uh, you should go communications. And I said, communications, like there's no money in communications. Why, why would I ever do that? And I had cut the deal with her uh, that if I, didn't, if I didn't like the athletic training major, I needed to go switch over to comm. And I switched over to comm and I loved it. It was the best decision that was ever made. Uh, I got my undergrad degree in uh, communications, emphasis, public relations. And then to keep the athletics piece together, I minored in coaching. And so I think that's another key point that I, I really like to highlight, especially if you're a student who's listening to this. I think everybody thinks if you're an associate provost or if you have a doctoral degree that like you made good, you had a 4.0 GPA and that you studied all the time. Like, hello, people, we flunked out of college, too. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, I actually flunked out of college once. Well, 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 well listen, I, I, I got pretty close. So when uh, my first semester, and I was just taking all general degree classes, 2.11. The next semester, I had a little bit of an easier semester, and I had like a 2.7, 2.8. The following fall, I had a 2.13 taking those biology classes. And so um, my... My GPA going into grad school was like a 2.8. I had a 2.8 cumulative when I went to grad school. And I, I, I actually do this when I meet with students now to show them. I have in my office my college transcripts. And I pull it out and I show it to students to say, you don't have to be perfect at all. You're 100% right. I wasn't even perfect in my doctoral program. <laughs> Got a couple of bees in there. I love that. <laughs> it's amazing how many comm degree holders work in college and higher education. We do it for a little bit and then we come back to what we love, which was college. So <laughs> I took a similar path. I was radio, but that's still calm just with technology thrown in front of you. Most definitely. And I think in my in my grad class, in my grad cohort, I think there are only two of us, two or three of us that were comm majors. Rest were like from psychology, English, a bunch of other different majors to get their master's degree in comm. What spurred you then to continue on to get your master's degree? Was it that diversity and inclusion piece or 
And how did you make that decision? But no, I just didn't want to go to work right away. But uh, <laughs> my wife was already working and I saw her coming home every day. I was like, ah, I want to keep going to school. When I got my undergrad degree, another mentor, C.Y. Allen, uh, he said, man, you need to go get your master's degree. And at UWC's point, really, at that time, the master's program there was geared to prepare you to go get your Ph.D. in communications. I didn't I wasn't quite sure I wanted to go get my go get my doctorate, but I knew that I wanted to stay in the college setting because I wanted to work more with multicultural affairs. And so uh, I had the opportunity not only to go get my master's degree, but I had an opportunity to teach. And so as part of my grad program, I was a grad assistant in the comm department and I taught three sections of comm 101, which is public speaking. And so I used that avenue as an opportunity to also work with more underrepresented students and all students are working on concepts of speech, public speaking, timing. Uh, I had a lot of Toastmasters in me at the time. And so we talked about, you know, just being prepared for an interview or a speech, dressing, etiquette, different things like that. So uh, just being able to have that opportunity spurred it, but I did my, uh, because I was an athlete in the past, my master's thesis really focused on the socialization of minority student athletes in comparison to our, just our domestic minority students on a predominantly white campus and being able to see the difference between the two. Uh, it was great. It was very eye-opening and that spurred me to want to do more with diversity. So did you really enjoy the teaching aspect as well? I did. I, I really did. I mean, uh, it, uh, not a knock on faculty and staff, but I enjoyed knowing that uh, on Mondays and I, I typically taught Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. So I knew on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I was able to block out my time and block out my day to do whether it was write a paper, write a research article, read, do whatever. I knew that there were two days in the week where I can just hone in and lock in and get a lot of things done. As opposed to now, it's uh, five days a week, schedule just whoosh, full. And so so I, I did enjoy it. Uh, it's something that I thought about trying to do here, uh, maybe doing some agile work in the comm department and teaching public speaking. Uh, but right now, the, with, with, with the responsibility that's been asked of our office, uh, that's, I don't think that's going to happen quite yet. So you, you got your master's in comm. So did you go straight into your PhD or did you work for a little while and then go back and do the PhD, kind of Hannah's route that she's taking now? Or how, what did that path look like? After I got my master's degree, I started working. Uh, right when I got my master's degree, that's right when the court case of the University of Michigan came down within their admissions office. And so it really required colleges and universities to start the process of uh, holistic admissions. And so we create, uh, UWC at this point, created an admissions counselor's position in their office. Uh, and so I applied for that. And then the second part of it was, I was also the uh, director of new student orientation, our coordinator for new student orientation. And so uh, in the summertime, I had worked with new student orientation as a student. I was an orientation leader. Uh, and then when I was in grad school, I moved into the office and really started working doing the day-to-day -day work. And when they moved it over to admissions, they put me in charge of all of that. 
which is kind of strange in itself, but but it was it was a great time. And so uh, part of my job was holistic admissions. But then I was in charge of multicultural recruitment in the Madison, Wisconsin area. So I spent a lot of time in Madison at all the high schools in Madison, building relationships with students and the whole nine yards. And while I was, I think it was my second year on the job, uh, the UW system came up with a plan because they wanted to diversify their workforce, but they also wanted to give minorities, underrepresented minorities, an opportunity to obtain a doctorate degree. And so my supervisor came up to me and said, hey, there's this doctoral program at Madison Edgewood. Would you like to be a part of it? And I said, whoa, wait a minute. Is this like free? And they said, yes, uh, the, the university is going to reimburse your tuition. And I said, sign me up. <laughs> and so uh, it happened uh, just off of an initiative. Uh, and I went probably after my second year in uh, admissions, I started, I started my doctoral program. And what was that like? Can you, I, I'm always interested in people's experiences. You know, when you decide to make that commitment to the, the third tier of higher education, that's quite a different beast than the others I've found. So how did you do, or what did you feel? How did you think about those types of things? So the first thing is, is I was the youngest person in there by far. Uh, my supervisor was in there and everybody else that was in uh that was in my cohort, they were either directors, vice presidents, uh, they led their unit and they led multiple people. So for me, being in that program, it was unbelievable, unbelievable for my development because the stories that were told and the things that I heard on a, on a weekly basis, it was like, oh my gosh, now it could have backfired. I could have been like, man, I never want to supervise people. Uh, because that that's just, I don't know how people could sleep. I mean, just the stories that I heard, but it was great because it really positioned myself. There was a lot of things that I didn't know. I thought it was going to be a lot. The, the academic work was not tough at all. It, it, it wasn't. What was tough for me was the I needed to have confidence in myself to believe that I could be in the room with the people that I was in the room with. So, you know, we talk about imposter syndrome a lot. I felt like I was an imposter in the room because here I am, Justin Mallet, 25 years old, uh, an admissions counselor. And I'm in the room with my boss, who's the uh, VP of enrollment management. I'm in the room with the director of Res Life. I'm in the room of a VP at, at a community college. I'm in this room with all these leaders and I'm like, oh my God. So they say, hey, Justin, share a story about, share an example of this. And I'm like, well, I don't have an example of that, but I can give you a great race story if you want that. But it was, um, it was eye-opening. It showed me a lot and it, it helped me prepare me for where I'm at right now because a lot of the times when I'm, I'm in a difficult situation, I tend to revert back to stories that I heard or examples that I heard and I still connect with a lot of people that I went to school with. How did you work through that confidence issue? Did like just being with those people and, and starting to feel a little bit more comfortable, like help, like what helped you gain some confidence? 
talking to people, I, I had a lot of heart to hearts. I had a lot of, I had a heart to heart with, uh, with Ron, Ron Strage. I, I'll, there's very few people that I'll run through a wall for. He's one of them. And so Ron sat me down and he said, you know, Justin, you belong in this. You do this. This is going to help put your family in a better position. Don't worry about the people in the room because the people in the room are also learning from you. And once I was able to understand that and really grip that, uh, it really, really, it, it helped me calm down a little bit. But it, it was a process. I mean, I, I felt the pressure to perform because I'm, here's what I said to myself. I was like, well, the school's reimbursing for me to go to college. I'm the only minority in the room with this cohort group. I'm an admissions counselor. And I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't do this, but I knew that I had to do it because I just, for, for a black male, and I saw the numbers, it was like less than 1% of black males were getting their doctoral degree. I had to do it, but it, it was a lot of pressure with my schoolwork. I mean, I wanted to make sure that I was putting out a perfect product every single time. So there were papers where I would write, I would write a 10 page paper, write it, delete the whole thing and rewrite the whole thing all over again because I wanted to be perfect. Then I realized I didn't have to be perfect. What a compliment too, that, you know, your boss, I did, you know, you should be in this and identified that in you as, as somebody who wasn't, you know, that's, I think that would be a self-confidence boost too, that, you know, your boss, who's also in the program, you know, saw something in you that thought you should do it too. That's, that's a pretty good compliment. I would think too. Oh, yes, sir. Most definitely. Uh, Kathy Glennon was a phenomenal. I mean, she was unbelievable as a supervisor. And I, I actually rolled with her to every single class. And um, and just what she would teach me in the car. I learned so much more about it. admissions work. I learned about financial aid. I learned about the whole game. I mean, she really, really she, she was the first one to show me how the inner workings of higher education. I imagine that's super helpful in your role now, since, you know, oh. you're, you're in the system trying to make improvements. If you know how it works, that probably makes it much easier. So, Oh, yeah. What, the, the number one lesson she taught me is, is in the words of Kenny Rogers, you got to know when to hold them and you got to know when to fold them. And you got to know when to walk away and you definitely got to know when to run. So. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Woo, you saw the inner workings. We all see the inner workings. And you didn't run away <laughs> screaming, so there you go. You passed the test. <laughs> did you have to do a thesis? Was it a, uh, what was your final product? And then yep. what did you do after that? My dissertation uh, was on, I took Cantor's theory of tokenism, uh, which is a largely feminist theory. Uh, I took Cantor's theory of tokenism and exp helped explain why uh, Black students struggle to socialize on a predominantly white campus. Uh, one of the first studies to ever, to ever do that. And so that was, that was great in itself. I made a decision uh, in my last year, my doc program. I think I, I got a little overconfident in, my, in myself, started believing in myself a little bit. I, I was definitely feeling myself. I said to myself, I don't want to be an admissions counselor. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of traveling on the road. I'm tired of uh, spending days away from home. I, I had two kids at the time, two young kids. And I was like, I don't want to travel anymore. I don't want to spend a weekend in Rice Lake, Wisconsin. <laughs> and so an opportunity arose itself. 
where I could become the director of multicultural student affairs at a small private school in Illinois, uh, Illinois College. And I went down there and I interviewed and uh, I think it was kind of close in the beginning, but I pulled out the number one interview strategy that I could. My daughter at the time was about six months and um, they had an open forum where anybody could come in. So I strategically had my wife come to the open forum with the baby and I did my whole presentation, but nobody was listening to what I was saying. They were focused on, on the little baby that was in the room that was cooing and the whole nine yards and uh, Melinda Carlson uh, was very persistent uh, as a VP of student affairs. And she gave me my first opportunity. She gave a almost not even 30 year old, fresh out of doctoral program kid, uh, an opportunity to be a director. And I'll never forget that because that uh, it, it allowed me to achieve my dream to be in multicultural affairs. But at that time, I was a one person shop. It was it was it was me. It was Justin. I was the diversity and inclusion department. So I had staff meetings in the shower. Uh, my idea ideas were ran by myself sitting in a in an office. I actually moved my office from where it, at Illinois College it would have been upstairs. I moved my office into the old radio station within their multicultural center, so that I could be a part of of everything. But we had some great things that were there. We had a barber, we had a barber shop right there in there. We were located right in the union. It was it was it was great. Those students that were there, they were very strong minded. They were very strong willed. Uh, their focus on having being on a predominantly white campus and being treated equally, it was phenomenal. It that was the best. That was one of the best times. Of my life, and it was a great way for me to get started in, in diversity and inclusion. Wow! Yeah, what a great opportunity, and also a key point when interviewing, you use all the tools available to you. Do not feel bad about using all the tools available. Dude, dude, we were very strategic with that. <laughs> yes. So, how did you go from from Illinois College to Northwest Missouri State? Did you come here after that, or was there another step in the journey between here and there? Uh, there was there was one more step in between there. So, um, being West, being from Wisconsin and uh, and the whole nine yards, we we wanted to go back to Wisconsin, and so the opportunity uh, came again for me to go back to Wisconsin and for me to become the director of multi, the diversity director at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. And so in in 2015, uh, summer of 2015, we packed up, went to UW Green Bay, and UW Green Bay offered a, a lot of opportunity. I had two coordinators uh, in the office. It was the setup was pretty much pretty much like what we have here at uh, Northwest. Uh, it was two coordinators. The center was located in combination with the Office of Student Involvement. It, it, that was a great time. Uh, the Green Bay campus, if you've never been there before, if you haven't, it's kind of out there in the middle of nowhere. I always say it's the equivalent of, of like Hunger Games. Like So we were like District 9 uh, out there because uh, you were far away from the community. But it was, it, it was a great opportunity. Uh, and that uh, job gave me, it gave me the, 
the steps and the confidence that I needed to make the next move, which was here in Northwest Missouri State. What did you learn about yourself? I, I like to talk with students and with staff, with people, the step between being a department of one, right? You have the title, you have the responsibility, but that supervisory step. So really taking that step from, you know, doing, doing and, and leading, but then having to supervise people. What did you learn about yourself? I had to go back to my coaching abilities and start to start to realize that everybody has strengths and weaknesses. And if we want to succeed as a group, I have to be able to promote the strengths, but help the coordinators improve the weaknesses. And so then those can become strengths, but then allowing them to really work together and play off of each other. And then for me, being a new supervisor, just understanding the dynamics of emotions family life, personal life, business, and all those intertwining. So, you know, here I am at Illinois College. If I'm angry, I'm, I'm upset about something personal, I could go into work, I could just be mad at myself all day. But if one of the coordinators came in upset, I had to give them an opportunity to be able to vent. But the one thing that those coordinators did teach me, uh, and they used to stress it to me every day, I, 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 can, I still hear my voice in my mind Right now, Ed Crystal saying, Justin, you have to delegate. Justin, you have to delegate. You have a team here. You can trust us to get it done. That's the number one thing I had to learn. I had to learn how to put my trust into the coordinators to get it done and not just me running all around. And that that was that was very tough. That was very hard for me to learn. But Bay and Crystal were very persistent in teaching me that lesson. That's a huge jump there, that trust level. Oh, it's, it's, it's tough. And, and for, for me, being who I am, because me putting trust in people is something that I really, I, it's very hard for me to trust people. And so there's only been a handful of people that I've been able to fully trust. And so me putting, understanding that, hey, I'm leading this unit. So if something goes wrong, it's still going to come back to me. But then... I always used to, ask, I started asking myself, am I helping my coordinators get to where they want to get if I'm not giving them the opportunity to grow and develop themselves? And I had to take a huge step back and allow that to happen. So what caused you to make the decision? You're learning, learning as a leader, learning how to delegate, learning how to lead a team. And what precipitated coming to Northwest? Uh, I went through my own racial identity development. And so uh, I always thought I had a strong sense of my racial identity, but there were some things that were going on that forced me to have to, I had my own racial identity development and I wanted to be at an institution. I wanted to be at a place that really, really, really cared about diversity and inclusion. Uh, they, they cared about the promotion and the work and the whole nine yards. And so um, I, I had some other opportunities. So I, interviewed for a job at Penn State, and then I interviewed for the job here at Northwest, and we came we came here for the interview at Northwest, and I can tell you, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, as we were coming through Des Moines, and we were coming down that highway, I think it's uh, Iowa Highway 2, I think it is. Uh, we had some, we had some <laughs> deep conversations uh, coming into town. Corn and cows and not much else. <laughs> I felt like I was in the Children of the Corn movie almost. 
one way in, one way out. We're looking at our phones to make sure our phones are fully charged. There's no signal. We were, uh, we started to panic a little bit, but I got here and I interviewed and I, we met some great people. Rebecca Lawrence was phenomenal during, during the interviewing as a host. I met Clarence Green, phenomenal guy, loved his passion, loved his commitment to diversity and inclusion. Met Juanita Simmons. Dr. Simmons was very charismatic, very energetic, had a lot of passion. Uh, when I first saw her get out of that red Thunderbird, I was like, oh, wait a minute, but uh, very passionate. And so we interviewed here. And when we left here, uh, we were kind of still like, ah, I don't know. But then as we talked about it more, what, what impressed me the most was, you know, typically after you do an interview, you as the interviewer, you send a thank you note saying, hey, thank you for taking time out to interview me. And I hope that I'm back at Northwest in the future. Well, we stopped in Des Moines. I'm, no, no, we stopped in Dubuque, Iowa to spend the night because uh, we interviewed all day. And then in the afternoon, we, after we're done, we drove straight to Dubuque. Well, I checked my email that night and there was an email from Clarence Green. And Clarence Green thanked me for coming to interview and just share some thoughts that he had and whatnot. At that time, I knew I was we were coming. Uh, I knew if, if offered the job, I knew we were going to say yes, because that's what that's the environment I wanted, we wanted to be. And so uh, probably three or four days later, Juanita Simmons called me and offered me the position. We said yes right away, and we moved to Maryville in July of 2017. Been here ever since. And just as an aside, your wife, Dana, also works on campus. Yeah, yeah, she she works here. She's a counselor over in wellness services. So uh, there's always a lot of unpacking and talking about, well, how does this make you feel? And it's kind of <laughs> weird being married to a counselor. You know? <laughs> uh, and now she's a licensed clinical so- social worker. And it's just, uh, it's a different aspect. At least I don't have to deal with my kids' social stuff all the time. <laughs> That's an interesting Northwest dynamic, too. There's a whole lot of us that work here. And actually, I think all three of us, both spouses work at Northwest. And that's a that's a unique kind of situation because, you, you know, your lunchtime conversations and dinner conversations, it's hard not to talk shop when you both work at the same place. Yeah, we, we try to have a rule that we don't talk shop at, at home. We, we, we try to we try to give us give ourselves a little bit of time after work to say, Hey, here's how the day went, and then we try to leave it at that. But uh, from time to time, it's a, it's a. I just had a long day, and I just need to vent. Especially, and and it was me more than anybody after this summer. It was me sitting at the table and having a lot of conversations. So, can you articulate for us your vision for diversity and inclusion here? As the leader of the unit, although I know that we're all leaders and we're all, you know, trying to practice and be better, tell us your vision. My, my true vision is, is for, for the entire campus to understand that diversity and inclusion is not just all, on the office. It's not just a responsibility, the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. Our job should be to be the bridge for all these, uh, every department and on campus and leading diversity and inclusion efforts within that area, which then in turn helps the institution. And so that's why we're going with this inclusive excellence framework so when we can have those conversations. So 
in career services as an example. You may have a goal of we want to get 50 underrepresented students internships by the end of the year. Well, how are you going to do that? What are the action steps? We should be able to come in and help you develop those action steps towards those goals. We should be more that advisory piece uh, and that educational piece. Now, a lot of people tend to think that because we dropped the E from DEI and now we're just diversity and inclusion that we don't focus on equity, but that's not the case. What it is, is, is equity just means something different on this campus than it does on another campus. So the way we define equity here is that's the compliance piece. That's your Title IX and sexual harassment and your Title VI, which is racial discrimination. When we talk about equity through our office, we talk about it through the lens of social justice. And we want to educate our entire campus on social justice and equity versus equality. Being able to understand that if we want to diversify well, you may not be able to treat everybody the same. How Dr. Jasinski may treat Justin Mallet may be way different than how he treats Hannah Christian, but we all have to be okay with that and understand that dynamic and understand how power dynamics work, understand how equity and equality works. And our job is really to, for our, for our faculty and staff, is to provide that education on that. For our students, we should be providing programming that's going to allow them to be educated, but allow them to feel comfortable having discussions about these topics. A lot of our students are from small rural areas, but our underrepresented and our marginalized students come from very large urban areas. We have to encourage that cross-cultural learning because when I graduate as an underrepresented student, I may end up working in a small rural town. Well, am I ready for that? Am I prepared for that? If I'm a majority student from a small rural town, I may end up going to work in New York City or Chicago, Illinois. Am I ready to be in that diverse environment? What is that going to take? And, and that's where that collaboration piece comes with all of us and working and, and having that educational component. So my vision is, is that the entire campus realizes that this is a everybody project and not just a singular project. That's amazing. I would imagine that's a that's a heavy task too to go to a predominantly white institution like Northwest, which is in a very rural area. You know, it's it's it, that's, it was probably a daunting task to take that job to do diversity and inclusion in a place that's not very diverse. And we like to be inclusive, but it's hard to be inclusive when there's you know when you don't have very many people to include. So I, I would imagine that that was probably you know a challenge coming from somewhere like Green Bay, Wisconsin, which is probably you know much larger, much more people than. Maryville, which is 10,000 people, and Northwest, which is 6,000 people. Well, and, and here's the funny thing about it. Every school in the country, same issue. Every school in the country, every every predominantly white institution, even some of your HBCUs, exact same issue. How do you turn and change mindsets that diversity and inclusion is more than just black and white? Because that's how everybody tends to look at it through the lens of um, you're either black or you're white, as opposed to looking at the different intersections that exist with sexual orientation, uh, religion, socioeconomic status. There's a lot of different things that go across this whole concept of diversity, but we always tend to look at it just simply through the lens of race. And we have to start the process of understanding that, you know, you can be white and be diverse. You can be white and go across a different 
a, a different intersection. I may be multi-race where my where one parent is white, one parent is black, but I was raised by my white, my white parent, and I need I want to learn more about my identity on the other side. We can help with that. We can we can have those conversations. We can have those dialogues, but we have to get everybody comfortable enough within themselves to be able to say, hey, here's what I don't understand. I'm just here to listen, but not ask our students who are still developing their own racial identity to help you understand as an adult. And so uh, we have these conversations all the time. Is it tough? Uh, sometimes it can get a little frustrating, but I also go by the mindset of you're not going to reach everybody. You're not going to change everybody's mind. But if I can reach one and change their mind I, and change their viewpoint to become more inclusive, then I've, I've, done a, I've done my job. And also, you know, people sometimes focus on difficulty. Once again, they're thinking about difference, but inclusion and really, you know, having some successes, no matter how small they are, that's intensely rewarding to be able to say, you know, we've, hey, we've made some forward progress. You know, we've had some, we've had some safe spaces. We've had some inclusive activities and, and we're, we're moving forward. That's got to be incredibly, like, heartening. Oh, most definitely. I, I think being able to say, especially over the course of the last six, seven months, to be able to say, here's where we were in May and to here's where we are right now in February is light years. I, I'd be willing to put the work that we've done at Northwest against any other school in the country to say, hey, show me where you've done these things. And I think we'd be hard pressed to find any school in the country that has done a lot of the things that we have done. So being able to take those victories, to be able to get our board of regents and our, our alumni board and our foundation board to go through diversity awareness training online. If you would have told me that, that 100% would have done it, I would have called you crazy. The, our book clubs that we started and different things, if you would have told me that all these things would have taken off and we were able to have the robust discussion and dialogue that we have on campus, I would not have believed it. I, I, I would have said, no, that would have, that's like three years down the road and we've done it in seven months. So, so and that's a testament to the employees that's a, that's a testament to our faculty, staff, and students. There's been a lot of commitment around the table. So it's not like our office just went out and said, hey, you better do it. It's been an a effort and, and a want to from everybody. So, so that makes it, that's what makes it, that's what makes me happy to be here at Northwest. So with that in mind, I guess my question for you would be, what does it mean to you to be a Bearcat? That's a hard one for me to answer because there's a part of me that is still in my deep down is a, is a pointer. Uh, that's that was our mascot in college, the Stevens Point pointer. But for me, being a Bearcat means being civil, being able to be there for one another, the family like atmosphere that it that exists. I think being a Bearcat is something that all of our students. Uh, hold near and dear to their heart. There's a great affinity here. So for me, that love and passion for the institution is really what it means to be a Bearcat. I mean, you, you just see it everywhere I go and every person that I talk to, that love and affinity that they have for Northwest is unbelievable. And that's, you know, even after hearing all the stories over the summer about experiences of underrepresented students at Northwest, they always tend, they always 
still tend to come back and say, I enjoyed and loved my time when I was a student at Northwest Missouri State. So uh, that affinity is something that is very heavy. And I think that's what it means to be a Bearcat. One more question. What does an associate provost do every day? Like, what? tell me about, like, I don't even know. Well, if you figure it out, you tell me. <laughs> My day-to-day now really includes, outside of working with the coordinators in the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, my day-to-day really is working with, with our employees, working with our faculty and staff on issues of diversity and inclusion, uh, working with different departments, so working with our HR department, uh, working with our leadership team, just on making sure. I think my number one role is to make sure when we're doing stuff, we're talking about being equitable in the process, being equity-minded, uh, looking at our processes and procedures and saying, well, is this really equity minded or are we just are we just doing this just to do it? And so my job is to be able to have, for me as there's well, there's three other associate provosts in the office. So they all have different responsibilities. But my sole responsibility is to be able to have those tough conversations and push the envelope where it needs to be pushed to get people to think about everything from a diverse, diversity and inclusion standpoint, which you can see, you know, when we talk about our strategic plan and different things like that, we've incorporated that all over. But my job is to be willing to have the tough conversations that people really don't want to have. So if people really want to know what I do all day, I have tough conversations that people really don't want to have. So people don't like to talk about politics. Well, I kind of do. People don't like to talk about money. Well, I don't like to do that. People don't like to talk about race. And I definitely love doing that. And so if it's something geared towards making sure that our underrepresented and marginalized identities have what they need to be successful here at Northwest and in Maryville, that's what we do. So mm. so nothing real glamorous, nothing exciting. Uh, I, read a, I do a lot of reading. That's about it. I read a lot too. So yeah, yeah, got that yeah, in common. Exactly. You, you're starting to see there, there there's no difference. Yep. Uh, it's just the uh, it's just the title that's there, but we all end up at the end of the day, we're doing the exact same things every single day on a on a college campus where we want to inspire, we want to motivate students, we want to encourage them to get their degree. And just like you all are prepped down in the career services office, you're prepping them for interviews and internships and things like that. Our office in my area, we try to find ways to aid that as well. I've worked at Northwest. I was here when the the diversity, equity, and inclusion office, it was called at that time, very first started and kind of have gone through the whole process. And I can tell you, your office has affected change on this campus. It's made it a better place to work. It's made Northwest Missouri a better place to live. So thank you for having those conversations. They're, They're helping and Northwest is a much better place now than it was before the diversity and inclusion office was here. And I think we're getting better every day. And I think all of those initiatives that you were talking about, we've done over the last seven months, they've just made Northwest that much better. So thank you. And thank your, you know, your folks, your equity and inclusion counselors that work for you. You know, the the work you guys do as much as a small shop and, you know, career services is very small too. So we know it's hard to try and do everything for everyone when there's four people in the office. So what you guys get done with the number of people you have is really astounding. So Thank you so much. So I just want to thank you for your, your contributions to make Northwest an even better place. So thank you. 
no worries. We'll keep working hard every single day. And if there, if if we ever feel like our, we're taking the foot off the gas, you all let us know, and we'll make sure that we keep going because we just can't we just can't do the things that we're doing right now and then just say, "Oh, we're done. We did it." We have to keep we have to keep our foot on the gas and keep working hard to make not only the campus but our Maryville community an inclusive community. All right, before we go. The floor is wide open. It's yours. Do you have any last wisdom, uh, anything you would like to share with us? No, I, I think the main thing is, uh, for students uh, that are that are listening to this podcast, uh, the number one thing that I would say is use the resources that are here. The one thing that I, as I go back through my college career, the one thing that I wish I would have done was is utilize the offices that were there. I wish I would have utilized career services a lot more. I wish I would have utilized our student employment office. I wish I would have utilized all those different things because I think that would have also helped me in building up my overall resume of who I am as a person. So uh, if you are listening to this as students, use the resources that are on campus because they are here to help you and help develop you. Uh, I appreciate uh, the opportunities that I've had. I have, I appreciate the opportunity to be here in Northwest and I appreciate y'all for giving me an opportunity to come in and share my story. So I'm always here. Please don't ever hesitate to reach out. Thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast. This has been amazing. Nope, anytime. Thank y'all <laughs> for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Well, that will do it for another episode of Behind the Bearcat and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>